Hi, welcome to episode three of Contemplating Creativity. My guest for this episode is Dr. Aspasia Poltoglu, Senior Lecturer in Psychology at Manchester Metropolitan University with a PhD in Cognitive Neuroscience. Asper is also a classical pianist, having trained at the Conservatory of Athens. With that background and combination of qualifications, it was probably inevitable that she took an interest in the psychology of creativity, a topic that she carries out extensive research on as part of her role at MMU. During our chat, we discussed how we might regulate our emotions to maximise our creative potential, and how we can apply the science of creativity to become more creative ourselves. Asper outlined the psychological phases we go through when creating, and whether there are right or wrong ways to carry them out. Since launching this podcast three episodes ago, I've been contacted by some amazing potential guests that I'm sure are going to inspire listeners on their own creative journey. In order for that to continue, it will really help if you follow and rate the show. I hope you can take a few seconds to do so. Thanks. Asper, hi. Thanks for joining me. Um, I wonder if before we begin our conversation, you could just give a quick overview of what it is you do, your background, and why you particularly became interested in the psychology of creativity. Um, hello, uh, so I'm Aspa. I, I'm a senior lecturer in psychology at MMU. Um, so one of my interests is investigating creativity. So what makes us creative? What is creativity? How can we measure it and quantify it? Um, my background is quite variable, really. So I started uh, with piano. So I was uh, learning how to play classical uh, piano music for many years. I also studied um, social sciences, uh, social anthropology and social policy. And then I came along to Sheffield and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I was thinking, oh, should I um, uh, do an accompaniment uh, piano um, masters or should I uh, look into uh, music therapy? And then I thought, no, actually, I really want to do research and I would like to do research in music psychology to see how uh, we perceive music, for example. Um, so that's what I did. And that's where um, I caught the, the bug for, for research. And it, it seems like that interest in how we perceive sound and relating it to your own piano playing kind of transitioned into a, a more broad interest in creativity in general, what kind of inspired you to, to make that shift to that sort of broader subject matter of creativity? I became interested in creativity because I thought, why can't I come up with um, sort of interesting questions about um, uh, sort of um, about uh, novel studies? And so I started looking into that and I, I started thinking about uh, emotions. I'm really interested in the effect of emotion on how we see the world. I am very interested in how we can help people regulate their emotions better in order, for example, to be more creative. Yeah, I was actually talking to a psychology graduate about this about two weeks ago. She was suggesting that we clear our minds of all emotion to reach an optimal creative state. And I was challenging her, saying that I felt that emotion was such an important influence on creativity. Um, so much great art and design has come out of anger and sadness and heartbreak, that kind of thing. 
But am I wrong? Should we be bottling that emotion to draw on later when we're actually in the process of creating? Well, it depends. There is some evidence that um, a lot of stress can be um, detrimental for creativity, but a little bit of stress can be um, beneficial. And of course, uh, events that can be highly emotional uh, can give us inspiration for something. And of course, creativity can have some um, sort of healing properties. Um, and the other thing to think about is that creativity is not just about having inspiration, being free, having lots of ideas and brainstorming. Uh, so there's, that's the, the more perhaps degenerative um, sort of stage of creativity. When you come up with the idea, sort of the initial parts of it, then you've got the analytical stage where you have to work on your ideas and refine them and keep the ones that are interesting and they can sort of link together nicely. So if you are at that stage and you're highly emotional and all these emotions and all that stress takes away your resources, as we would say in cognitive psychology, mm. perhaps at that point, that would be detrimental. Mm. Also, if um, uh, sort of the emotions that you're feeling might be relevant to uh, you know, you might be feeling low because uh, you're very judgmental of yourself and you're thinking, oh, I'm not very good at this, uh, for example. So high evaluative stress, again, it's, um, it can have negative effects of creative, on creativity. So there is some evidence for that. So a lot of that is to do with the way our brains constantly switch between convergent and divergent thinking as we go through the process of the sort of cycle of preparation, incubation, illumination and verification during the creative process. Can you explain a little bit about how that works? So um, this is a, a model that a researcher uh, came up with. So they wanted to, to illustrate what are the different sort of stages that we could go through in terms of uh, uh, our creative process. So what happens when we uh, create something? So first of all, uh, there's this idea that we are in the preparation stage, that there's a lot of conscious processing, we're kind of thinking what we want to focus on. And, and then um, according to this model, well, at some point we, we might get a little bit stuck. We don't know how to, um, to continue with this. So, that's where, as you say, we, we hit the incubation stage. So at some point, we, we leave our project aside. We, we just go to something else completely. And the idea is that there's lots of unconscious processing going on. And then that helps you get a, a bit freer from the constraints that you might have, that certain things should go with one another and not with something else. And uh, the idea is that during this stage, you can have lots of new ideas that can help you with your project. And then comes the, the next stage, which is about uh, ideas uh, come back to mind. So you're able to continue with your creative project. But of course, that's not enough. So you need to uh, refine these ideas as in the verification stage. But of course, uh, like any model, uh, this is just sort of an illustration of the potential different stages that we go through in the creative process. 
sometimes we don't always go through the same uh, stages. Yeah. Sometimes they uh, we go at different uh, orders. So it just depends. Yeah. So do you consciously apply those techniques to the scientific work and research that you do? For many years, um, I, I was really, really interested in the scientific method and wanting to do really good quantitative studies. I, I still am really interested in it. But what I found difficult is the fact that you have to be so um, sort of um, critical of everything you do. You need to make sure that your study uh, doesn't have any confounding variables. And so whatever ideas I would come up with, in the analytical stage, I would crush them because mm. I thought, no, 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 that's not right. There's so many problems with it. So as um, a PhD student was saying once, and I thought it was really nicely put, when you're doing research, you need to hold so many contrasting things in your mind and to be able to, to deal with all these different mm. things. And so I thought, well, let's look at things in a, in a different way. Let's look at qualitative research and kind of Stop thinking about the method for the moment and start thinking more about the concepts. So what is it that I'm, I'm studying? What am I interested in? Um, how does it relate to me in a more personal way? Forget about being objective for a moment. So that yeah, was the process I was going through. It sounds like uh, early on then you were just saying that you kind of almost wanted to study the science of creativity because you wanted to be creative. And I definitely think I started getting interested in this because when I was trying to be creative, going to art college, joining a band, learning an instrument early on, it was because I wanted to be creative, but I didn't actually believe that I was naturally creative. I thought I need, therefore, I need to study the science of how this creativity thing works and apply it. Um, is that with your brain working slightly in that way? Or did you instantly know you were creative and you wanted to understand why and what it meant? Well, um, first of all, I think we're all creative. Hmm. We all have these amazing brains that are problem-solving machines. Uh, they're creative machines. And creativity is not just one thing. It's such a complicated concept. It has so many different stages and so many different types of creativity. A lot of the time we associate creativity with artistic creativity, but there's such thing that's called uh, scientific creativity. And yes, um, absolutely. I was trying to look at the science of creativity to understand myself and how I can be more creative uh, as a scientist and as a researcher. But also I was taking a bit of a distance from doing quantitative research, which is what we tend to associate with, with science and looking to and kind of reflecting on the process initially. And I thought by writing all these little articles, uh, I will be able to acquire all these other skills that I might not have and eventually build up to, uh, to doing uh, quantitative studies. And I do feel that something like science communication is so important for creativity because it allows you to play around with ideas rather than having to do uh, a strict sort of um, uh, scientific study. And um, I see what you're saying. So you were saying that when you, you were sort of exploring what you want to do, how to, to be creative, perhaps you were 
kind of judging yourself. Oh, I don't yeah, know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think my mind instantly went to, well, let's look at the scientific way to block, unblock that and to stop that. Um, yeah. Did you find that that quantitative research you were doing actually was making you overthink things and restricting your creativity for a while? In some ways, yes. Um, I mean, for my master's, I, I did manage to come up with a couple of really nice studies, I think, on investigating uh, memory for melodies for children and adolescents. But after that, yes, I perhaps I, I did feel that, as I was saying, I was so trying to be critical because you have to be critical when you're doing your mm. studies. But then, um, yeah, that sort of crushed a little bit my ideas for... Um, yeah. Yeah, and there's so many um, sort of technical difficulties as well um, that can a little bit get in the way of um, of um, uh, you know coming up with a really good study and um, testing it, etc. Um, <clears throat> you were saying about your music, and mm-hmm. I, I listened to, to your uh, to the previous episodes, and I loved the the music, and I thought I, I bet he wrote it and he played it, and I thought it was beautiful. beautiful Thanks, <laughs> you're very kind. Thank you. You actually you mentioned this, and we were, we were talking about the the difference between composing and just playing an instrument, which is the same as maybe just copying a painting um rather than actually painting from nothing for want of a better way of putting it um and there are definitely cre- creative elements to just playing some a piece of someone else in creativity and just how you fret the note and how much strength you strum the guitar with whatever but i'm interested in when it's just craft of playing an instrument and what looks like the ultimate creativity which is doing that but also designing or writing the song writing the piece of music and you said there's creativity during all this and they they sort of fluctuate so i don't know if i've really got a question here but can you elaborate on your thoughts on that absolutely so uh, the the first thing to say is that uh, i studied music for many years learning to play the piano learning to understand the structure of um of uh, the music by um uh, all the classical uh, composers and i never created music myself and sometimes i wonder was it because from the very beginning i was told that this is you know i, I was kind of told that you need to play what is on the page mm-hmm. but perhaps not there are people that um feel the need to compose um and yeah, you're absolutely right. There is creativity in um, playing something that somebody else created. And as you say, it's about um, uh, uh, sort of thinking about what you want to express and how to do the phrasing. And and of course, when you're learning to play the piano or the violin, there's so much technical difficulty there. You need to spend yeah. so many hours uh, learning um, sort of the, the ropes and how to um to play the notes and how to um to do uh, to do all the 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 right finger here and there um and sometimes that can get in the way really of creativity mm. Mm. um but i suppose if you want to be a classical pianist and a soloist there's no way around it um 
And I, when I was doing my diploma, I was playing quite difficult pieces. And of course, I was, I, I, I needed to, to show that uh, and to, to, that I can express myself, I can bring something new, something of myself in the playing. But at the same time, I had to be very focused on what I was doing. Otherwise, I would have played the wrong notes. Yeah. So there are moments during that, those creative stages where certain elements can be right or wrong. But there are a lot of moments where there shouldn't be an idea of right or wrong and there should be completely unencumbered creative freedom. And I think that if those moments, how we define them as right or wrong, if those are misplaced, then they can really knock the creative confidence out of people. I have two daughters who are very creative but I've noticed many moments where they've really doubted their own creative abilities. Uh, my youngest daughter came home from school one time that really sticks in my mind that she'd presented a painting in her art class and had been told that many elements of it were wrong. I don't know which, I can't remember, but you know, for example, the, um, the composition being wrong or the choice of colours being wrong. I'm not really convinced that there should be a right or wrong at that stage of the creative process. Um, so how should we strike that balance between where there should be rights and wrongs? Um, and how should we help ourselves to feel creatively confident in doing so? And how should we help other people, teach other people where there should be a right and wrong and where they should have freedom to be a little bit less constrained? So, first of all, if um, what you're interested in is becoming a solo pianist and playing um, uh, these pieces that somebody else wrote, there is a right and wrong <laughs> note in that um, yeah. context. And um, so I, I was saying before that I had to to pay attention to what I was doing and uh, and make sure that I'm playing the right note because unfortunately uh, this is what I had to do. This is what you do when you're a soloist. But at the same time, I have to go above it and think creatively about the phrasing and what I'm saying mm. here. So I had to hold both things in my mind. The same way I was, we were talking earlier about signs. You need to. Think about the technical issues and any confounds and uh, to make sure that you're doing um, study, the study uh, in, a, in a valid way. But at the same time, uh, think more creatively about um, what you're looking at or coming up with a study. So somehow you need to hold both things in your mind. Now you were talking about um, creating a painting, uh, for mm. example, uh, a ch uh, your children creating a painting, that's a completely different context. And absolutely, uh, at that stage, I wouldn't um, sort of ask them, I wouldn't give them constraints. I wouldn't say there's a right or wrong way to create things. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. But I also, as you were saying before, sometimes introducing some um, constraints can help creativity. Mm. So the last two weeks I was teaching students in the cognitive unit 
cognitive psychology unit about uh, first what is creativity how do we measure it how can we um measure it quantitatively and scientifically um and then can we train creativity and we learned that there's not one thing that is creativity is a very complex uh, concept and sometimes we can train some parts of creativity and one of the interesting things i found in that area is that a lot of the time maybe you can come up you can train people to come up with more ideas but originality will not necessarily be enhanced with the training which originality is at the heart of creativity really so that's interesting and then are you using generic tests of creativity, divergent and convergent thinking tests and other tests, or are you testing stu design students and you're judging the perhaps what they're creating for the course? Uh, so there's lots of really interesting questions and very variable results. And usually cognitive psychologists are trying to find the, you know, the general laws of how our minds work. But a lot of the time you you see that the answer is it depends. It depends on the context. It depends on the type of thing you're looking at. It depends on the population. Yeah, those are exactly the kinds of questions that inspired me to start this podcast in the first place. It's great to hear that other people are as curious as I am about those topics. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thanks again so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thank Bye. Bye.